Take our Bibles and go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to consider just the first two verses within the context of the beginning of the second portion of this letter of Paul to the Corinthians. The second portion of this letter is just two chapters long, chapters 8 and 9. And what we're going to discover together in these two chapters, about 10, 10 things that grace teaches us, that God's grace teaches us in relationship to sharing and giving in, uh, in the, among the flock unto gospel purposes. Uh, 10 virtues, uh, 10 aspects. We're going to unpack these 10 things that grace teaches us in relationship to sharing and giving among the flock unto gospel purposes. Two weeks ago, we laid the groundwork for the background of this second section of this letter. Just ask you to go back and listen to it if you weren't able to be here two weeks ago so that we can make some progress here this morning onto, these, onto this first of ten realities of what grace teaches us according to our proposition. So let's pray and um, we'll continue. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much. So we have the opportunity to open up your word and let the indwelling spirit of God uh, illuminate our hearts as to its truth and then help us apply to our hearts individually uh, for to be merely faithful hearers is not what grace instructs our hearts to do, Lord. It instructs us to be faithful doers of the word, not just hearers. So help us to understand and apply by your Spirit's health what, help what we'll hear this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Howard William Osterkamp. I'll bet you that's a name that most of us are not familiar with. He's a Korean War veteran, a Purple Heart recipient. He's from our own state. Dent, Ohio. He served in the Army Company um, C, the 5th Regiment Combat Team from 1951 to 53 as a Korean War veteran. And he's the one that coined the phrase that all of us probably are familiar with. All gave some, some gave all. That's probably the most popular phrase quoted at Memorial Day services around the country each and every Memorial Day weekend. Scripture points to the fact that the greatest love one man can have for his brother is to lay down his life for them. And of course, we know the greatest form of love and sacrifice given to any individual, let alone country, was the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for our spiritual freedom. It is this sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice, that's on the mind and heart of Paul as he writes this second portion of the letter to the Corinthians. We'll see this as we continue on today through the first couple of verses of chapter 8. When God speaks, Stephen Lawrence recently said, he does not whisper. He roars with the sound of many waters. His voice drowns out every other opinion of man that's true when God speaks his grace attends to his words 
And when it comes to the language of giving and sacrificial giving, it's no different. We saw last week that the only statement of Christ mentioned outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, outside the Gospels, was in Acts 20 and verse 35, where Luke, who's quoting Paul, says Jesus' words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's the nature of God, isn't it? Rarely is the attribute of the goodness of giving attributed to God, but it's an attribute of God. Giving is sourced in his grace, which is a gift to us, which is unearned by us. Grace is a gift of unmerited favor. It's the very nature of God to be a giver. And we went through a litany of Bible texts last two weeks ago uh, telling us it's just in God's nature to be a giver. From Genesis 1.30 to James 1.17 to John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? It's in the nature of the Godhead to be gracious as divine givers. We looked at Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over to us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? The Spirit of God is part of the Godhead too, right? And he's come to give us the peace of Christ, John 14, 27. The Spirit of God doesn't stop giving ever. The moment you're born again, you're gifted with spiritual gifts that are intended to be utilized by God's grace to minister to the flock, to strengthen the flock so that the flock can know what divine giving is by those gifts among them and then the progress of the gospel outside of them. We looked at Psalm 20 and verse 4. We looked at Galatians 6 and verse 10. It is the nature of God to be a giver. His grace is a gift. When we know his grace in Christ, that's what his grace develops in us. In other words, if you're born again and spirit-governed, you can't help yourself but be a giver. Because God can't help himself but to just be a giver. And God cannot lie, right? Amen. I love to take the, all the attributes of God and attach them to the attribute of his immutability. Do the same thing with God's grace. Grace is the gift we said two weeks ago that just keeps on giving because that's just who God is. And in Christ, spirit governed, that's who we can be and should be. So I can actually say, and I know this might sound ridiculously mundane, but when we share and when we give, we could actually say it's really not us giving. It's God doing that through us. Just like we could say, oh wow, Pastor Kent's message was amazing. He's an awesome speaker. And he is, right? Amen. We could say, well, he's gifted, and the gifting came from where? 
So is Pastor Kent an awesome speaker or is God an awesome God using him as a vessel? You can't take any spiritual gift and blame its usage on any human. It's the supernatural grace of God developing that gift that he gave him and by his grace allowing the flock to be encouraged by it. The grace of giving is is no different. You don't have to have the spiritual gift of giving to understand the grace of giving. You just give because that's how God's grace operates. Right? So, we know God's grace compels us to understand that it is better to give than to receive. We know that grace would like to make sure that certainly the household of faith is cared for. That's Galatians 6.10. As we work our way out to caring for others who need the Lord Jesus in our community. So, understanding these things of background and context, let's explore together now the first of ten different virtues that grace leads us to practice in relationship to sharing and giving unto gospel promotion. So here's number one. It's in verses one and two. That's all we're going to get through today. Okay? Grace compels the Christian heart to be impartial in their giving in relationship to their circumstance. We'll explain. The grace of God compels the Christian heart to be impartial in their giving in relationship to their circumstance. As we've already studied together, grace is a gift to us and it's demonstrated in our whole existence as Christians. It is a gift. It is the gift, regardless of who you are, that just keeps on giving in the spiritual and practical realm. God impartially graced you at salvation. Aren't you glad? God didn't decide to just save the person he thought was the most moral in the culture or the the good philanthropist in the culture. God just chose to save. God is impartial in the offering of grace. He offered that salvation to all men. Correct? So God is impartial in his nature in relationship to giving. Grace then impartially grows you as a child. And aren't you glad? Hang on with me here. The grace of God is still developing a believer in the auditorium this morning that had a really bad spiritual day yesterday. And the grace of God still developing someone who felt they had a really good mountaintop spiritual experience yesterday. Because we, the Bible teaches, and we've said here often, that when you're in Christ, God doesn't love you more when you have a good day, and he doesn't love you less when you have a bad day. He just loves you because that's what grace does. It's just what it does. So grace in Christ is just grace. It's impartial as to how it operates in our lives. So it's, it just saves and it just grows, regardless of the person and circumstance. In Christ, we have 
all partake of the grace of God in its equal, divine, and ever-overflowing nature. So here the grace of God compels the Christian heart to share what God's given them in the same way he shared and does share in what he's given to us. Though it's not in our text this morning, verses 1 and 2, let's look at verse 9 real quickly. We'll jump forward a few virtues ahead to gain a little broader context. Paul even states here, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich or wealthy. Consider the impartiality of these words. There's a very certain paradox of impartiality right here. Someone was rich who became poor so that the poor might become rich. Obviously, this is speaking of Christ. And if you may be thinking of Philippians 2, among other passages. So let's journey over there to Philippians 2 and be reminded real quickly of the reality of the wealth of Christ. The Godhead's decision to redeem man and how that all happened. Verse 5 Have this attitude in yourselves, Paul writes, which was also found in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God to be a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's ever-giving grace in action, even within the Godhead, on what he's done for us in Christ, who has come to demonstrate giving grace and the sacrifice of himself so that we might be participants in that grace of his giving so that we can reciprocate the same. For what purpose? For the cause of the cross, for the cause of the gospel. There it is. Christ ministered the grace of God regardless of his circumstance. He had it all, right? And then he made himself of no reputation. And the King of Kings and Lord of Lords was birthed in a rugged old barn and Bethlehem with nowhere to lay his head. But he is grace. He is the demonstration of God's grace in human form as the Son of God. And he, Hebrews chapter 12, teaches us, was obedient with joy even unto the death of the cross. 
Even the circumstance of our Savior did not dictate his offering of grace. So it's in the very nature of the God, of God himself and of the Godhead. Circumstance doesn't dictate giving and sharing. Grace does. Grace does. Go over to Philippians chapter 4 if you're still there. And Paul exemplified this uh, even in his own life. If we look at verse 12 of Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then he says what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We preached through Philippians years ago and looked at that verse 13 that's often taken out of context and we plugged it into its context. There's something that grace compelled Paul to keep doing in this text. To keep living a gospel-driven life whether he had everything, abundance, or he was even destitute of his need. He just kept what? grace just keeps giving grace just keeps serving regardless of circumstance so from the example of our lord to the example of a humble servant of the lord this is just what we know and we'll expound on this more and more there was a lady in our church long ago that was just a faithful faithful servant of the lord the lord's given us a lot of these men and women here we praise god for them The grace of God just shined forth in her life. She gave of herself and shared so consistently with the flock to make sure everyone's needs were taken care of. I remember thinking as a young boy, then as a young man, wow, this lady must be a great person of means. She's given so much of herself and so much to meet the needs of the flock she must be rich. When she passed away, meeting with our family, we found out that she was probably the poorest lady in the church. No one would have ever guessed. What compelled her to live that life? Or should I say, who and what? This is what grace just does. Regardless of circumstance. You see again, friends, that grace just consistently operates. Whether you're living in superabundance or whether you're living with what Americans would feel to be nothing. It just continues to be what it is. The truth practically extends into the lives of the believers of Corinth. Paul knew how the grace of God had changed their lives. He knew their passion to allow the grace of God to function as it would in their lives had been distracted by the false teachers that had infiltrated the church. And we've discussed these hucksters quite a bit in preaching through this letter. 
The Corinthian believers had participated by grace in the sharing of the support of the gift to the church at Jerusalem that we discussed two weeks ago, but they allowed themselves to be distracted. So let's go down to verses 10 and 11 now. We've already read the example of Christ in verse 9. We're just kind of preaching inductively today to underpin this first point, okay? So he says here in verse 9, for you know the, excuse me, verse 10, I give you my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. Like, this is first in line. This is first in priority, not in chronos. This is, this is both, really. In time and in reality, the Corinthian church had been compelled by the grace of God in Christ to jump out and help, help the Jerusalem church first. They were the leaders in beginning the gathering of this five-year gift for the church in Jerusalem that had become impoverished. But there was this time out that these religious hucksters caused in Corinth to get them distracted from their progress. And Paul's now just reminding them of the grace of God and just encouraging them, hey, look, regardless of your circumstance, either wealth or poverty or being distracted by religiosity, the nature of the grace of God in giving hasn't changed as your circumstances have changed. So let's get back to focusing on the grace of God. Does that make sense? So again, regardless of wealth or poverty, we're not talking about resources or stuff merely in this text. We're talking about even spiritual distraction or life circumstance that can get us distracted from understanding the nature of grace and how it continues to just always give. The influence of unbelief had distracted them to become partial in their giving. Just kind of let that sink in just for a second. So if we're not understanding and living the joy of what it means to let the grace of God operate in sharing and giving, I wonder if you've been distracted for whatever reason, religiously or practically, away from understanding how grace operates. God's constancy, God's consistency given to us as a gift. So Paul's just reminding them that within the context of the letter of the nature of grace and how it operates in every believer's life to just move on, allowing the same grace to rekindle their desire for the care of the flock and the spread of the gospel. You see, it's the very nature of grace to share in giving. I'm going to say that again and again and again. It's the very nature of God in Christ. It's the very nature of the Holy Spirit who indwells us to share, share, share Amen. and instruct us to do the same regardless of circumstance. So you say, wow, I've got this big college bill and I've got this big opportunity and this big obligation and this big this and Pastor Tim, I lost my job and Pastor Tim, you don't understand and Pastor Tim this and Pastor Tim that. Quit talking to me. Right? 
I'm just the human dude that struggles with being impartial and how I handle grace in my life. If you're going to give any excuses to why you're not allowing God's grace to operate, you're like, talk to God, not me. God doesn't have constancy issues or consistency issues. And when he gifted you with, doesn't have issues either. It just is what it is. That's how grace operates regardless of circumstance. Now, within the immediate context this morning, Paul uses the example of a group of churches that knew what it meant to allow the grace of God to operate in an impartial manner in relationship to their sharing and giving. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. What do we know about the financial demographics of this group of churches called the churches of Macedonia? And who are these churches anyway? Well, we know of at least three of them because they've been talked about in Scripture. This would have been Thessalonica, Philippi, and Berea. At least three. Lightfoot, in his commentary, describes these churches this way. Quote, they would have been baptized with the baptism of suffering. And this suffering was the result both of poverty and of persecution. He goes on to write, There is no warning against the temptations of wealth, no enforcement of the duties of the rich in either of the epistles written to the Thessalonians or to the Philippians. In other words, what he's saying here, if you read 1st, 2nd Thessalonians and Philippians, the four chapters of Philippians, you're not going to see any direct address given to those of means in those churches. Like you would when you see Paul writing to Timothy, who's pastoring the church of Ephesus, that is also full of some pretty wealthy people, as Paul's talking to the church of Corinth, that's full of the same. Nowhere in Scripture, no one's observation of history would have ever called any soul in any of these churches even remotely affluent. Everybody had almost nothing. No exceptions. The Macedonians were just simple, young, afflicted, hardworking, sincere, spirit-filled saints that didn't allow their circumstance to dictate their sharing. Hughes writes in his commentary, truly then, their liberality on behalf of their fellow Christians at Jerusalem, whose material lack was even more pressing than their own, was a manifestation of the grace of God operating in a notable matter in their midst. The flock was enjoying the manifold grace of God and giving out of seemingly nothing. And I love how Paul addresses the Corinthians here in the first two words of verse 1. Now, brethren, even though that... It, even though that they had been distracted and allowed themselves to be distracted by wicked religiosity, 
Paul's not here pounding the table. Listen, you fools. How in the world? What are you doing? Come on. Is that his approach? It's the antithesis of that, isn't it? No, brethren. Remember we went back into relationships in chapter 7? Identity, assumed growth, and then talk about the humanity. That's what he's doing here. Now, brethren. Who are the brethren? People who are in Christ. Right? Identity. We already read verse 10 and 11, right? I have already recognized your growth. You were the ones first to set out to start gathering this gift. So I know you're golden in that regard. You got yourselves a little bit distracted, but grace assumes growth, and grace then can assume activity within that growth. Hey, so come on by, and by the way, if calling you brethren, even though you've kind of been distracted for a year, because he gives us a time frame here, 12 months, even though you've been distracted for a year, hey, I know you're in Christ. I know you're going to grow. And by the way, if you need any encouragement as to how God's going to do this, let's talk about this group of churches real quick. Because you're certainly not in their demographic. Okay? So, this is the context. Now, brethren, so for all of us, including me, are so easily distracted in so many ways. Right? Now, brethren, it's never too late to do the right thing. And to know the nature of God's grace, to know how it functions in you, in Christ. And let's just talk here about how uh, not opportunistic, but how able, how capable God's grace is, regardless of your circumstance, to allow you the joy of giving. As Christ knew the joy of giving himself, regardless of his circumstance, as we've already discussed. So Paul's approach is not assuming motive. His intention is not to guilt trip them into giving and sharing. With certainty, he approaches the saints in Corinth knowing how the grace of God impartially operates in the matter of giving and sharing, and he just assumes they will. Now, I'll be honest with you, this is not the majority of the approaches that I was part of growing up in Christianity. The plea for giving, the plea for sharing was multifaceted, and I believe multi-motivated. And all that needed to be said was, hey, this is God's grace. This is how it's demonstrated in Christ. This is how it was gifted to you. Now just know God's grace. I'm sure because you are saved and you want to be spirit-governed, hey, you're just going to be a giver because there's only two kinds of people in the church. There's givers and there's takers. That's it. There's no gray area here. You either is or you ain't. That's it. And Paul's saying here, because you're in Christ, I'm sure you want to be an is. And here's an example. Some wonderful people that have been living through much more dire circumstances who are enjoying the grace of God. So this is a proper approach of any believer to another on the topic of sharing and giving for gospel purposes. As we've already said, it's that identity growth humanity thing again. 
I assume you're in Christ. I'm assuming you're growing in the understanding of impersonal nature of grace that it instructs us in sharing and giving. So how's it going for you in that matter? You see, it has nothing to do with circumstance. An understanding of this will transform each of us and compel us all unto cheerful sharing and giving. There's nothing top-down. There's nothing ill-motivated about the approach of grace to this whole topic. There's nothing of pressure regarding how grace compels our hearts to impartially share in gospel progress. It is what it is. And we do by grace what each one does. And we assume that that's the way God's grace is operating in your life. So I ask you, is God's grace operating in your life this way? Do you claim circumstances or rationale as to why you don't share in giving? I've heard through the years, pastors, pastor, I'll give of my time and I'll give of my spiritual talents, but we're just not in a place right now to give of our resources. It's just a rough time financially and materially now for us. Well, you can't get poorer than Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, folks. And you can't get poorer than Jerusalem, which is even more destitute than those churches. None of us in this room, no one in this room is wondering where lunch is coming from today. Nobody, no college student, no high school student, no young married person, no adult, no child woke up today wondering if they were going to have lunch. I am telling you, by scripture and by history, that's the way these people lived. Daily. And yet somehow God's grace operated in their life to participate in something that was really unthinkable by mere human standards. Unthinkable. Like, wow. Like, how? Like, where? Brethren, grace would teach you that sharing in resources, financially, material, is done regardless of circumstance. So I'm sure your heart is struggling with the fact that you don't. That's what Paul is saying here. You know, if I would listen as a pastor to that excuse over the years, and I don't hear it much, I haven't heard it much over 30 years of being here, but if I'd have listened as well, pastor, I, I can give of my time to the church and I can give of my, you know, spiritual giftedness the Lord's given me, but we just don't have. So I'm thinking, so what if the Corinthian church would say, well, I'll just give of my time and I'll give them my spiritual gifts to Jerusalem. We just don't have the resources right now. Or what if the Macedonian churches said that? Folks, they didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles back then. They didn't have the internet back then. There was no sharing in the gift unless it was material or financial means. There was none. So the grace of God must and does compel to give all of ourselves and all that we are in Jesus Christ to each other and to gospel progress. We don't get to make up the rules and the rules of engagement or the rules of exception. 
God's grace is the rule, and since it's an immutable and unchangeable, it just does what it does. We just do what we do as we're governed by God's Spirit. Amen. And God's grace is never cheap. None of you are going to put a dollar amount on the value of God's saving grace or growing grace in your life. None of us would dare step out and do that. So who are we to decide a number or what we can or can't do? We just do. Because God just does. By his grace, we're able to do it cheerfully and joyfully. So we follow the example of Christ, right? That's what Paul's saying here. Corinthians, I'm sure your heart wants to. I'm sure after being distracted for a while, now that your hearts are right, this is what you're wanting to do. So consider these folks, the Macedonians, and, and be confident that if they can allow God's grace to operate this way, so can you. And Paul, Paul goes on to say in the verses we've already read, we wish to make known to you this grace. This is what we call in the Greek language a present active indicative. In other words, we're always going to be lifting up the example of the Macedonians to not just you, but everybody. Why? Because God's grace is what it is, and they're allowing what God's grace is to operate and become their reality. So they're forever going to be an example, humanly, of what God's grace can do through these earthen pots. And he goes on to say, which has been given to the churches of Macedonia. That's in the perfect tense. All that simply means from the moment they were born again. All you got to do is read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. From the moment they were born again, they followed someone of spiritual example in their lives. And then they became like that someone, and they themselves became an example. Listen, folks, not only in Thessalonica but in Macedonia and Achaia and the whole geographic region. These impoverished people became known as grace givers. Read the text of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's certainly right there. So this is a natural, supernatural reality. Paul has reminded the Corinthian hearts that this is just what grace does, so it's just what the people of grace do. They're always looking for ways to share and giving in the care of the people of God for the growth of the gospel. He goes on to teach in the context here that in a great deal or ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Hughes explains this phrase this way. The example of the Macedonians is a practical proof that true generosity is not the prerogative of those who enjoy an adequacy of means. The most genuine liberality is frequently displayed by those who have the least to give. He goes on to say Christian giving is estimated in terms not of quantity, but of sacrifice. Please write that down. And if you don't want to write it down, it's probably because you're kind of uncomfortable right now. And I'm going to say that's okay. Christian giving is estimated in terms not of quantity, but sacrifice. And I know each one of us has to go before the Lord and determine between us and them, draw the circle around ourselves, is what I offer to the people of God and the progress of gospel really a sacrifice to me and my family? 
Is it really? Because remember, this is present active indicative. The Macedonian example is forever on God's radar in this time. It's an example to all of us. And I would say we're more of a financial Corinthian demographic than a Macedonian demographic. So for all of us, it's not just, hey, does it fit in my budget neatly? 3%, 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%. Remember, it's not according to circumstance. And the grace of God is not cheap in salvation, so it cannot be cheap in progressive sanctification. It is a matter of sacrifice and joy. The context says it here. Because they knew the true grace of God. And in the midst of the ordeal of affliction, they had a disposition. See that? Or deal, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed. Consider the widow of Mark 12, 41. There's a gospel context. Who gave all that she had, and the text of Scripture says, even all of her means to live. <clears throat> Who does that? None of us have ever done that. You see, grace just shares. It's not allowing circumstance to dictate generosity. As a matter of fact, it's the fire of affliction and poverty that uncovered and refined the precious ore of joy and generosity in the hearts of the Macedonian believers. Consider what Paul writes here. They overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Notice the double paradox here. Hugh says, in the midst of the testing of affliction, the Macedonian Christians knew an abundance of joy and their rock-bottom poverty. That's literally what it means, by the way. Right? You study the language of this text. The ordeal of their affliction just means they weren't at the bottom of the barrel. They were looking up at the bottom of the barrel with resources. In their rock-bottom poverty, they had used as an opportunity for abounding in the wealth of their generosity. In this, they had shown themselves to be truly Christ-like. And that's it. We have the goal of Christ-likeness here in our mission statement. And early in our sermon, we discussed the impartial nature of God in Christ in relationship to our salvation and it is divine compassion to make sure we all grow in the same grace. And then by that grace, God works through us all in sharing and giving to make sure needs are cared for so the gospel can go forward. Go over to me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 as we close this morning. Let's look at an example of one of these Macedonian churches. Okay? And we're done. On your own time, you can go through these five chapters and underline, especially in the first three chapters, how many times you see the word affliction or difficulty or trouble. We've already talked about all that this morning. But you can see it. But in the midst of all that, and they're giving and sharing to make sure they're each cared for in Thessalonica, they were able to have a gospel progress. Verse 7. 
so that you became an example, chapter 1, of the believers of Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves... Paul can't even instruct these people in this city, in this region, because the Thessalonians have done such a good job modeling what grace does. For they themselves report about us what kind of recipients, reception we had with you, and how you turned to God and from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. What's going on here in verses 8 and 9? Folks, this is gospel progress. This is ministry to the saints in Thessalonica. This is also the modeling of the churches, the church in Thessalonica, and we can include Philippi, of each other to other churches in this region unto what end? If you study the grammar of verses 8 and 9, I believe you'll find this to be the language of church planting. Do good unto all men, especially the household of faith. These people out of nothing were caring for each other. They were caring for other churches in the Macedonian region, and they did that unto a cause, unto a purpose. Okay? So this is much bigger than all of us. This is what grace does. It just instructs us to share with one another so that the gospel can have progress regardless of circumstance. I lost 50% of my income, Pastor, during COVID. Everything gets dialed back. And I'm sure there may be some rationale to that. But always remember, always remember, the grace of God when it comes to giving is not cheap. Jesus didn't cheaply die for you and cheaply save you. He richly saved us. Read Ephesians chapter 1. Right? And we bless his name for that. And on that same grace, we share and we give. We share and we give, regardless of circumstance. Amen? Amen. So pastor, if you say, Pastor, you know, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I'm, I really am. Some of you say, well, I, I've been preached all my life that we ought to give 10%. It's got to be a tithe. Well, there's no tithe mentioned in the New Testament. I was like, that's great. I'm kind of glad it's not mentioned in the New Testament. You want to know why? Because I'd much rather blame grace for generosity and joy than a tithe. The tithe is a circumstance, right? So whether you believe in a tithe or not, I just that, that, that's 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 I'll just dismiss that for now because I really don't care what you believe. What what we need to believe is what the text. The nature of God, the nature of God and His grace, the nature of God and His grace in Christ, the nature of the, the giving nature of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And how in the world do we allow this ever flowing, ever effervescing ability of God to be demonstrated through us? So that way, it's impartial and circumstances doesn't matter. Your theological grid really doesn't matter at that point. Grace matters. 
And are you allowing the grace of God to instruct you? And guys, let me tell you this. More often than not, just real practical here, I can't put a Bible verse on this. Speak to me in my own life. If you really want to know if you're sacrificially giving or not, and if you're married, ask your wife. Because guys have a tendency to be tight. And if she looks up at you and gives you a peck on the cheek first, you know what's coming. Sweetheart, I don't think we quite understand the grace of God just yet, but I know we're growing. So brethren, bring it in. Let's understand God's grace. Now let's just understand it. Christ's gift to us was sacrificial. and Maybe we should pray and sit down and talk about what means to sacrifice. Keep that between us and the Lord. Right? Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity just to unpack your word in this first virtue that the grace of giving is impartial and unrelated to our circumstance. It just does. Help us to know the joy of that. Certainly such joy in that kind of giving. There's no agony. It's just joy. It's right in the text. Help us, Lord, to always, help me, Lord, especially, to really let grace be my tutor under the virtue of sharing and giving because I've got a long way to go. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.